Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In the Middle and Near East, there are and were a number of religious groups who practiced a kind of social religious isolation. Today, there are the Druze of Lebanon and the Mandaeans of Iraq, both of which are Gnostic religions that are highly secretive and closed off to those who are not members, and they only accept members descended from those who were members in the past. In the time of our Lord, the Essenes, a Jewish sect, lived near the Dead Sea in their own communities and avoided contact and interacting with those who were not a part of their particular religious practice. This sort of thing was not uncommon at the time or unheard of. Our Lord, however, did not desire that his disciples be cut off from the world. He did not expect his followers to withdraw from the world like the Essenes, to wall themselves off from the impure world, and to keep to themselves, practicing their faith which he handed down to them from on high in isolation. Instead, he desires that his disciples to be in the world, even though they are not of the world. Our Lord said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The disciples were to bear witness about Jesus, about who he is, the Son of God, the Eternal Word, begotten of the Father eternally, made incarnate in the time of the Virgin Mary, and was the Messiah of the Jewish people, the promised Son of David. They were to bear witness about his work as the Messiah. As the, longest, as the long-promised Messiah, or Christ, he was sent by the Father in order to fulfill the law completely, and having done this, he would go to the cross to offer his life as a sacrifice for sins while bearing the sins of the whole world, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the holy one for sinners, the blameless one for the wicked. They were to bear witness to this sweet exchange where Christ took on our sin in order that we who believe and all who believe may have his righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. But this witness is found not only in word, but also in life. For the disciples of Jesus were to walk according to his ways as he commanded. But since we are not perfect and we are still beset with sin, we are not to imagine that we are perfect or to pretend that we are. We're not to ignore our sins, but instead repent of them and confess our sins and constantly seek the help and aid of our Savior. Thus, the witness is one of humility, of shunning worldly things, sinful things, and seeking those things that God has commanded, such as not seeking our own good and benefit, but instead the good of our neighbor and their welfare. And this is partly why the world is so hostile to those who follow Jesus. Christians are a thorn in the flesh of the world. We are no different than the rest of the world is, in a way. We're flesh and blood. We're human, we live in the world, we live with the world, interact with it, buy from it, and sell to it. 
We likewise have a sinful nature, which on its own would condemn us. But we recognize this and confess it. By condemning our own sins and confessing them as such, we also condemn the sins of others, and so stand as a shadow and a blight on how the world would like to live. By confessing our sinfulness, our brokenness, our helplessness, and our absolute dependency on God, by trusting in him alone because of what his son, Jesus Christ, has done for us to save us, we tell the world, in effect, that it is sinful, broken, helpless, dependent on another, and in need of his intervention and salvation. No one wants to hear this, not even our own flesh, which is why we must always do so, lest our flesh triumph over us and we think we are not in need of a savior. The epistle to Diognetus, which you probably haven't heard of, but you may have, and if you have, good for you, is an early Christian apology or defense of the faith, and it clearly outlines this, describing how Christians are not special, they're not extraordinary persons, they are not from one place or another, yet they stand out by their way of life, which is different from the world, and so says to the world, repent and believe the gospel, so that you too may be saved. For the writer says, For Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country, nor language, nor the customs they observe. They neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a particular form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. Their course of conduct, which they follow, has not been devised by any speculation or the deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves as advocates of any merely human doctrines, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according to the lot of each one which has been determined, and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing and food and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. And yet, even with these few differences, the world hates the disciples of Jesus because of their witness. And the world's hatred is manifested in many different ways. For the apostles, that is, those disciples that followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and whom he sent out into the world, as well as for the first generation of Jewish Christians and those Jewish Christians that convert today, they're put out of the synagogues. They're called rebels, revolutionaries, and blasphemers, and they're cursed by their own families and kin. They, along with all other disciples of Christ, undergo all sorts of fiery trials, including insults for the name of Christ, mockery, reviling, being looked down upon, isolation and slander, and other mistreatments because of bearing the name of Christ. And bearing witness about him in word and deed. In some places, Christians then are even killed for this. As our Lord said, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering his service to God. We clearly see this in the martyrdom of St. Stephen, who was killed in God's name as he appealed to his fellow Jewish believers to repent of their sin and believe in Christ, who died for their sins and was now at the right hand of the Father. And indeed, all but one of the apostles was killed for their faith and witness in Christ. And the reason for this, 
our Lord says in the gospel. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. Yes, the reason that the world is against Christians is that it is ultimately against Christ. Of course, there are times when our witness is harmed by our own sinful actions and the sins of other Christians. Of this we must repent, dear brothers and sisters, lest by our actions unbelievers blaspheme the name of God. But this simply adds fuel to the fire rather than being its source, so to speak. The world knows neither Christ nor the Father. As such, it is opposed to him, just as we too were opposed to him before being granted faith by the working of the Holy Spirit. And just as our sinful flesh still fights against him at war within us, with our new nature, all by virtue of their fallen and sinful nature are enemies of God, opposed to him because our wills do not align with his good and gracious will, because the world does not know the Father rightly, that is, through his Son, Jesus Christ, and because it does not believe in him whom he has sent, there is animosity. For allegiance to God means forsaking of our own wills, a turning away from our ways and our strength, and turning to God's, trusting in him and accepting his ways even when our flesh desires otherwise. When Jesus was with his disciples, all of this was aimed squarely at him. There was no need for him to tell his disciples about these things from the beginning because he was still with them. And so all attacks, all insults, all targets were on him. But now he is with us no longer in the body. Yes, he is here with us, united to us by faith and is present with and among us, but the world cannot see him. And so their anger, their attacks, and their hatred must be directed towards the closest thing to Christ, his disciples, who together make up his church. Our Lord tells his disciples and us that these things are coming, these fiery trials, the hatred of the world, because he does not want them to be surprised when it happens. He doesn't want them to fall away, to be ensnared or tricked. He doesn't want his disciples to be think that they've been sold a false bill of goods, to be unprepared for what it will look like to be his disciple. Rather, he wants them to be prepared for what is coming, to be ready, so that when these things happen, they may remember that he told this to them and find comfort in this. And his first disciples were certainly prepared for that, and we heard that in our epistle this morning, how St. Peter warns the next and all generations of Christians of what they must face as disciples. Do not be surprised, brethren, when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Yes, our Lord in ascending did not leave his church, his disciples, helpless. He did not leave them as orphans, but he continued to care for his disciples just as he continues to do so now. At his ascension, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory and power, and now reigns the King of glory. Although he has left his disciples, he does not abandon them, but he promises that he will send the Helper, that is, the Holy Spirit, whom Peter in our epistle called the Spirit of glory and of God, 
Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Yes, he has gone, but he has sent the Holy Spirit. And although we call the Holy Spirit our consolation, as in to comfort us, the Holy Spirit is not some consolation prize. He is not lesser than Jesus, but he is equal. He says of the Holy Spirit that he proceeds from the Father. That is, he eternally proceeds from the Father, even as he, the Son, is eternally begotten of the Father. That is, he is speaking about the inner relationship of the persons of the Holy Trinity. We can't understand this, brothers and sisters. We can merely confess it as it is revealed to us. But from this we know that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, whom Jesus has sent to us, is indeed true God. He proceeds from the Father, not only from the Father, but also from the Son. As the Holy Spirit is called not only the Spirit of God, as in our epistle, but also the Spirit of Christ. As St. Paul says in Romans, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And in the Revelation to St. John, the most holy and blessed Trinity is described symbolically in this way. Then the angel showed me, that is, St. John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In St. John's Gospel, our Lord calls the Holy Spirit the water of life. And here we see the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, that is, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Yes, we have not been left as orphans, but God is with us even now. God himself helps us. The Holy Spirit rests upon all who believe in Jesus. He dwells in all who believe in Christ. Our Lord has warned us of the fiery trials that await us, but he has not sent us to them alone, but he sends the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yes, how can the world do anything to us in all its raging insults, mockery, and reviling, and all else, as we are assured of God's love for us, that he sent his Son to die for us and procure salvation for us. He has forgiven us and given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee that if we remain steadfast in the faith by his grace, we will live with him forever. Yes, it is only by the working of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word which he, that we believe this in the first place. It is only by his work in us through the preaching of the word which he accompanies for our Lord says he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. Indeed, the witness is one. He works through the word so that we may see our sinfulness and repent. He works through the word so that we may believe in Christ Jesus who bore our sins. He works through the word which is active in the sacraments to strengthen the gift of faith which he bestows. He works through the words that we share as we console one another in the faith and bear one another's burdens. He works through the word to strengthen our faith in the midst of this life. He works through the word to kill our sinful flesh and to raise up the new nature which combats it and desires to follow him. Indeed, by the Holy Spirit's working, we can be in the flesh but not live after the flesh. We can pass our days on earth 
but be citizens of heaven. We can love all even while being hated. Yet we can be poor, yet make many rich by bearing witness of Christ and preaching the gospel. We can be in lack of all things, yet abound in all. We can be dishonored and yet in that very dishonor be glorified. Have evil spoken against us and yet be justified. Reviled and yet bless. Be insulted and repay insult with honor. Yes, these things which flow from faith in Christ can only come by the Spirit's working. For he is the helper who helps us in our witness, so that who, that whenever we witness, we are not witnessing alone, but he is at work. He is the helper who helps us whose meager works are still, t- who are still stained with the taint of sin, but yet are purified by his action before God and acceptable before God by his gift of faith in us. Yes, he is the helper who calls, on, who calls and enables us to repent when we sin and who alone is able to keep us steadfast in the faith until death even in the midst of this world, that according to God's grace, we may receive the crown of life. May God grant this unto us all. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.